Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. This podcast engages a favorite subject of mine and one of great importance for all of us, actualizing well-being in teens. I have learned in my career as an experiential educator and from working with so many families using natural learning relationships that greatness lives in every teen. So it is thrilling to have a champion who knows and powerfully brings it forth for all to see and use. In addition to his insightful book, The Tao of Teens, Peter Berg supports many families and schools to bring holistic understanding and practice to life with teens. Josette and I are colleagues with Peter at Self-Design Graduate Institute, and Peter facilitates much of the public relations for the Alternative Education Resource Organization, with its thousands of members around the world dedicated to learner-centered education. You can find out more about Peter Berg by visiting the show notes at RemarkableEducators.com and by joining us at Patreon.com slash RemarkableEducators, as Peter will be featured in an upcoming newsletter, one of the many rewards available for a small monthly contribution. We are on. All right. Welcome, Peter Berg, and thank you for joining the podcast. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm so excited about this one because this podcast, we're going to talk about teenagers. And we know how many people in our society, unfortunately, don't understand teenagers, don't relate to them well, and actually, in my experience, have kind of a fear of teenagers. Is that your experience too? Yeah, that is um, very much my experience. And it's almost as if adults have a very short memory and they don't remember what it was like for them as teenagers. And as they get into adulthood, they often forget the things that they did as teenagers that they lament now that teenagers do. It's really kind of uh, quite funny. I mean, um, people that I've grown up with, it's interesting how they often forget those things or they somehow think that we didn't do things like that or how we did it was different. It's interesting. So yeah, I, I think there's a fear. I think at some point as adults, because we get into the work world or the adult world or whatever we want to say, and we sort of lose that ability in a way, or I think we have so many things going on, we often are not able to extend empathy. Is that it? Or is there something else? Have you explored whether there's other reasons? I mean, it seems like it's such a uh, remarkable thing to have forgotten what for many people isn't that long ago. Do you think that there's some willful forgetting or that there's, I don't know, I've thought about this a lot myself. Do you have any insight into what's really going on for them? I think that Some of it is willful forgetting and some of it is, you know, as we develop and as our brain develops and we start thinking differently, it's kind of hard to access how we once thought. And as we know, as we look into recent brain research and how 
for the male brain in particular, how it's really still developing into late 20s, even early 30s. And so I think once we start to develop different ways of thinking and different ways of processing information, different ways of acting on it, sometimes it's hard to go back and access that. Well, wait a minute. Why are they thinking that? Why are they doing this? And part of it, I think, is human nature. We're very nostalgic for the time that we grew up in and, you know, the good old days and everything was better then. And, and oh, my God, look at these kids today. And, you know, I, I, and, you know things I have changed, but, um, but not entirely. I guess sometimes I think that there's some shame or we were shamed or somehow disrespected or not, not treated well when we were teens. And there may be a residue of that that leads to our inability to sort of connect with ourselves as teens, as we're living with teens. You think there's any truth to that? Oh, I, I'll, absolutely. And, you know, just I think there's normal teenage struggles. Uh, there's so much going on, you know, in the teenage brain and body. I mean, there's so many changes and and just things that are coming at you all the time. But there's also all of these changes that you're really trying to figure out. You're trying to figure out what does it mean? Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? And so I think there's normal struggles. And then I also think that throughout the postmodern era, teenagers have really gotten a bad rap. And so I think many of us did have a hard time as teenagers and, and more disrespected and more kind of frowned upon in a lot of ways. And in a way, like you said, like fear. You know, teenagers were feared. So I think to try to go back to that is difficult. And I think, you know, trying to access that in ourselves can be really challenging. I remember my mom said to me when I was 14, and I loved her dearly, and she said, I think you've gotten stupider as you've gotten older. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it would seem like that, right? I mean, if you start to really think about as you look at a young child and all the things that they learn, and if you go into infanthood and you start to, wow, they learn to talk, they learn to walk, they learn to, you know, look at all these things they took in. And as a very young child, the curiosity is there, right? And they're learning at such a rapid rate. And you feel like, yeah, they're really picking this up. And then when they're, you know, eight to 10 or eight to 11, around there, they seem to really be just learning and really like they get it, so to speak, right? But then, like, Preteens and teens, it might seem like, wow, they're getting stupider because the decisions that they're making, some of it is impulsive. And as we know with the teenage brain, there is the uh, lack of impulse control to a degree. I mean, they don't have total lack of impulse control, but, but some of that impulse control isn't there. And in a way, that's the beauty of being a teen. And I think we need to really celebrate the teenage years and embrace them And also know that, yeah, there are going to be challenges and there are things that make it difficult for teenagers and adults as well. But there's obviously so many of us have come through our teenage years and and even enjoyed our teenage years. I mean, me me in particular, but I enjoyed my teenage years. Well, Peter, you're an example or an exemplar, if you will, of a holistic approach to teens. And I wonder if you could specify exactly what that means for us. Yeah, so a holistic approach for me, and I think a lot of others, um, and again, I mean, in, in some ways, holistic can be really loaded. And it's like, well, what does it mean? And we can spend years, you know, trying to really get down to a definition or um, even a way of doing things that everybody agrees upon. But in a nutshell, for me, it truly is looking at every aspect of a person. So it's intellectual, emotional, 
mental health and and socially, you know, where are they at and things like nutrition and sleep and rest and downtime and relationships, which are hugely important to humans in general, but in a lot of ways to teens specifically, that's such a time of social, emotional growth and the relationships are so important. So I think really looking at all of that and not just looking at, oh, well, it's this one thing and you're a lazy teen and you're this and you're that. Well, that isn't really the picture, you know, and that's not the whole picture. Talking about nutrition really quickly for a second, I was a teenager and I enjoyed my, what we call now, junk food and and all of that. And I think in some ways it's almost a rite of passage of being a teenager to be able to eat junk food and, and not gain any weight or not have maybe the ill effects that maybe an adult would. However, I think food has changed a lot in the past 15 to 20 years. There's a lot more additives. There's stuff in it. There's It doesn't resemble food uh, much anymore, like the junk food kinds of things that are around all the time. And I do think that really has an impact on teenagers, just how they think and just uh, behaviorally and you know their moods and and that kind of thing. So again, I'm not saying a teenager should never have a chip or a piece of pizza or a cookie or a piece of cake or anything like that. But I mean, it, we really have to pay attention to what teens are putting into their body. I mean, it, so let's go into some of the things. Uh, like, for instance, you mentioned intellectually and you mentioned relationally, and you say that relationships are so important during these years. And if we look at that in a holistic fashion, is there, uh, and in the, similarly to good food in the body, is there some way, that, I know you work with lots of families, how do you deal with that in the relationship aspect with teens? That's, that's a great question. So, you know, interestingly, I think when we look at relationships holistically, in a way, it's kind of um, the same thing as looking at a person, right? You're looking at every aspect of the relationship. So we all have, obviously there's different types of relationships. There's romantic relationships, there's friendships, uh, there's relationships we have with our family members, but they all have, they all have a lot of aspects to them. When I look at a relationship at a whole, I, I look at what's happening as you're interacting with uh, this particular person or even this group in multiple settings with various kinds of things going on. And so what does that look like as a whole? On the whole, is it is it positive? And are there things in the way you communicate with each other, even in times of stress? Or again, I mean, is it in the other direction where, wow, even when things are not stressful, we're not communicating well, and we're creating stress, and we're creating kind of a barrier to communication? So I think it's really about looking at all of that and then trying to really find out, well, what is really going on there? And and I think for, for some teenagers... Communication is hard. You know, they don't necessarily have, they, they don't, they haven't necessarily figured out the emotions that they're feeling. And so I think that, you know, that's part of it. I think, um, honestly, part of it is, is how society views teenagers, like we were talking about a few minutes ago. And I think teenagers in, in a lot of ways are almost defensive because they almost have to be. Because they're like, well, people look down on us and we're teenagers. And of course, whatever people think we're this or we're that. And so I think there's I think there's there's some of that to look into as well and kind of peeling those layers back and and like I said I work with families as well as teenagers and and what the adults it's like so what do you think of teenagers as a whole right like how do you view them and even though it's like well I don't view my teenager that way well I think that in part that's true but I think 
if you have sort of an overview of uh, this overarching view of an age group, uh, it is going to trickle down to the family member that you're dealing with, right? Because they're in that age group. So a teen is um, has difficulty communicating or they're not really uh, there or uh, in terms of being uh, transparent about their relationships. What about educators and parents? How do they enter into the teen's world? Yeah, so I think, well, we'll st- I'll start with educators first and then talk about parents. So I think for, with educators... A lot of it is really listening and coming from a place of respect, coming from a place of really wanting to understand. But I've seen a lot of educators get into the field because they want to impart their wisdom. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think there has to be a way of doing that and a way that it's really, it is about a relationship and it's about a partnership, right? So I work with the Self-Design Graduate Institute um, out of uh, Bellingham, Washington. That's one. I know. I work there too. We both work. That's awesome. <laughs> and it is a. We, it's we, have, a it's, we happen to be colleagues, Peter. Are you going to be there in August? By the way. Um. You know what? I, I I'm not able to uh, this year, unfortunately. But oh, okay. Uh, I, w- I wish I wish I was able to because I, I did go to the residency a couple of years ago, and uh, it's really uh, an amazing experience. And I wish I, I wish I could come this year. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I mean, talking with um, educators there and people who are getting into the field and in some of the other work that I do in other higher education, we talk about this idea of a partnership and it's really about that and it's coming from a place of respect and really being able to listen and, and what, what are they asking from you and what do they really want from you because, you know, to, to impose things on them or to impart things without, and I won't say necessarily without consent because I think trying to give somebody some knowledge about something or expose them to something I, I don't necessarily say that it's it's about consent but for me I think it's really more about the partnership and about listening and what are they really asking from you at the moment and try to really work around that when I would say it's the same thing with the parents you know I've talked to a lot of parents who give me a lot of flack for thinking that way and push back a lot well I need my teenager to do x and if they don't do X, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, understandable. And there are certain things that we all need to do. But I think, again, you know, coming at it from the partnership aspect, if you enter into the relationship in that way, it's going to look and feel very different. If you enter into the relationship that I'm the boss and, every, and you listen to me, you know, that's going to look different too. Now, that doesn't mean the team does and says whatever he or she wants without any without any um, outcomes to that. And I think an adult can say, wait a minute, I'm not okay with this, and here's why. I, I think that's part of the relationship, and that's part of the partnership. So I think it's interesting. I think you know, at first glance of some of the things that I'm saying, I know a lot of adults have kind of um, grimaced a little bit. And <laughs> so uh, I want to switch a little bit. Peter, do you have any specific uh, recommendations around how uh, educators should have a curriculum for teens. How should they approach the actual education of teens? Yeah, and this is kind of a, a really big topic for me. And so I think when we look at mass compulsory schooling, or some people call it mass forced schooling, I think when you approach it that way, right from the get-go, you have a relationship that is set up 
in almost an adversarial position. And so a lot of educators out there who really love what they do and want to really be in partnership with teenagers or, or really anyone for that matter. So they start there. And then the second thing that happens to a lot of educators is they're told you have to teach this in this way to these kids. So there's two. You're almost starting with two strikes in a sense, right? For some kids, because they're like, wait, I don't even want to be here. And the second thing is, now you're telling me I have to learn this and I don't really care about it. And you're telling me we have to learn it in this way that doesn't even work for me. So in a way, you know, you're starting in this position of not necessarily a partnership. So I see curriculum as really this dynamic, flowing, organic, emerging idea and things that are, again, you know, in partnership with students and adults. There's really so many ways that educators can approach curricula and even just learning that really, you know, works with our natural inclination to learn. And I think you have to do a lot to get in the way of that. If you watch a young child and you watch what they do, they're learning all the time. You can't stop them, you know, unless you intervene in some way. Right, to stop them, you really can't stop them from learning. This is a natural process. And so I think humans in general like that, I think we're natural learners. We want to learn. We're curious. And I think we really need to work with that. And and I just want to you know back up for a second. And when I say compulsory schooling, I'm not dissing anybody who, who works in a public school. I mean, I taught in public school for many, many years. Uh, I'm a product of public school, um, and I think I'm doing okay. So I think I owe a lot to the uh, the public school system uh, here in the United States. And so I'm not saying necessarily that, you know... Well, come on, come on, Peter, in a way you are. I mean, you're saying that 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 way of of a standardized curriculum with, uh, you know, um, success and failure and competition and and all the tensions of testing built in is doesn't work for most for many many children and put it on the line is it holistic or oh no it's definitely not holistic and i I would say so so we're trying to talk about holism here and you know we're trying to talk about what nurtures a whole child and and it doesn't does it no no it doesn't and i think the i think there's a lot of reasons for that and like you just i think you just hit on to me Sort of the three main features of why it's not holistic. So we know. I'm sorry, uh, but I want to talk about what it is holistic because that's what the people of this podcast love, and frankly, what I love to hear. So, in a holistic curricula, then then we're co-creating or partnership with the child, and I guess we're fi- working out of their interests and allowing their natural curiosity to take hold. Is is that a fair way to say that? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's self-directed. You know, it's this idea that, again, you're working with a whole person and you're attending to those needs, the whole person. And, you know, can even look back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a way that was kind of looking at it in, in to some degree. Right. You're looking at especially when you're looking at basic needs and things like that. That's even a more holistic way of looking at learning And a lot of what we see in the compulsory system, they're not even looking at that, right? It's not even about, well, man, you know, we got to meet these basic needs first before we can even 
even talk about anything else. And, and a lot of it isn't even around that. So, well, that's not what we're here for. We're here for this. And so a holistic curriculum to me, you are attending to the whole person. That means you're showing up in a way that is this this partnership and, and it's from a relational standpoint. And you're also paying attention to other things around you like lighting and aesthetics and things like that. So that's part of being holistic. And again, you know, looking at things like nutrition and spirituality. That's the one that's popping into my mind right now. That's the one I want to jump on. What what is what do you we'll talk about spirituality in teens and what do you notice? How do you work? Do you just how do you approach it? Yeah. Um. So again, you know, spirituality doesn't necessarily mean that you have a religion or anything like that. For me, spirituality has always been a belief in something bigger than yourself. That you're part of this thing called life, and you're connected to it. When you're connected in the way that you're connected to it, I mean, not everybody necessarily feels a connection in the same way. I, li- I like that line. You're connected to it in the way that you're connected to it. Yeah, yeah, because... I think that's that's really sweet for a teen. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I, you know what? I, uh, that's actually, that comes from teenagers, you know? I mean, um, that, that's not, not mine. <laughs> I am not surprised. Yeah, that that's definitely not mine, you know? So, and when I started to really think about it, I mean, it's true, right? We're, we're, we are connected in the way that we are connected with it. And I think that's so important. And when we talk about holism and a holistic curriculum or holistic pedagogy or however we want to roll it out there, I think it's so important to to understand that, that piece right there that, you know, we're connected in the way that we're connected to it, to life, you know, and this, this idea of connected to something bigger than ourselves and so i think with i think with teenagers the approach to it is really about i I think one just opening up that conversation because they do open up that conversation you know they may not come to you and say i want to talk about spirituality right um they might they might do that but often it's it's about trying to figure out the things that they see and like and a lot of it is figuring out what they see from adults and talking about like, I hope I'm explaining that well. It's I don't mean that adults are doing so many wrong things that teenagers, oh my god, have to talk about it. It's more about like they're trying to figure out what they're seeing, right? And they're trying to figure out how this all connects. What does it really mean? And so, like I said, often it's not going to come at like, well, let's talk about spirituality. Often it's in, you know, trying to figure out social relationships and and just things that are going on in the world. Especially now, there's a lot going on. So I think they, they really try to process that. To me, that that's where the spirituality uh, piece comes in. Because it's, it's really about that. It's about how do we engage in starting a dialogue. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, about listening and respecting and developing this partnership. That's where all that comes from. Because if you're not doing that, it's hard to seize an opportunity. It's hard to start a dialogue. It's so important. And, and what I was saying earlier is like not to indoctrinate. Not to, I'm going to impart my wisdom about spirituality onto you. And it's okay if, if you're being asked for that. It's okay to share it. But I think I've seen a lot of very well-meaning people come out and just sort of try to indoctrinate or convince, you know, that 
the way I do it is the way you should do it. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them, and I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. Today's teaching story is called The Secret. A would-be disciple haunted the wise fool, asking him question after question. The wise fool answered everything and realized that the man was not completely satisfied, although he was, in fact, making progress. Eventually, the man said, Master, I need more explicit guidance. What's the matter? I have to keep on doing things, and although I progress, I want to move faster. Please tell me a secret, as I have heard you do with others. I will tell you when you're ready for it. The man later returned to the same theme. Very well, said the wise fool. You know that your need is to emulate me. Yes. Can you keep a secret? I would never impart it to anyone. Then observe that I can keep a secret as well as you can. Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. So, Peter, I know you deal with lots of families, and I imagine, uh, given my experience, that families come with a challenge or a problem. What kinds of problems are you presented with, and and how do you approach it? And I imagine that comes from your education uh, connections as well. Gosh, I mean, there, there's a, a wide variety of ways that uh, teenagers and families will find me. One is obviously through my website, but another is um, talking to people who need to say, hey, you know, really we're looking for this kind of thing. And a lot of it, some of it is, unfortunately, uh, teen anxiety and depression is growing exponentially. Okay, so how do you respond? I mean, do you have, I'm sure you don't have a canned response. But, I mean, there must be a general field and, and understanding that you have that you approach that with that with the family. One, again, is really understanding that, hey, there there are a lot of people in, who share in this experience. I mean, it isn't just, you know, your teen. There are a lot of teens out there that feel the same way. What we really try to do, what I try to do, is get to 
the underlying stuff when we're talking about holism or looking at holistic health and looking at it from all angles. So what's going on here? And really it's about, so tell me about your day. Tell me about what goes on from day to day. What's a day like for the team? What's the day like for you? What's the day like for the whole family? Let's look at what's happening. And kind of really starting from there, starting from their stories, right? And their experiences, because that, there's so much there. And parents and teenagers, they have a lot of wisdom. And when I say that, I mean, they have knowledge of themselves to a degree. And I think, I would say mostly what I do is really help clear the space for people to get in touch with their own knowledge, right? With their own, what they know intuitively and deeply in a sense. There are some things that I would say, I, I keep using nutrition as an example, so I'll stick with it. You know, maybe they didn't know about this particular thing in nutrition that I found. And so I'd say, hey, you know, did you ever hear about this? And this, this seems to work well for teenagers. And so like something like that, maybe they didn't know, uh, or maybe they sort of forgot that they knew. But I think saying that line right there just reminds me of like, I think in a way, humans in general, we forgot a lot of what we know intuitively. And I think it's been in a way forced ahead of us. But so I think for, for me, it's about starting with their stories. And what so what are you already doing really well? What works? You know, what's going on? I mean, again, you know, I have families and teenagers that come to me with a variety of things that they want to work on and challenges, but there's so many things that they're also doing well, things that are going well for them that we can, you know, we can work with and build on. So again, it's really honoring, you know, who they are, where are they at the moment? And I always say, you know, nobody is broken, right? It's not like I have to fix you, right? It's about how do we figure out how it, we can make this smoother. That's beautiful, Peter. That's that's really a way I approach these things as well. We're not broken. Where's the greatness? Where's the wholeness? Where do we really live with it? And what do we need to do to allow that to be our everyday life and to be present for us? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that was um, perfectly said. Um, how I say, I think um, I do work with teenagers who also see other people, therapists, etc., whatever. And I think some of what I hear is this kind of, um, in a way, wherever they got this message from, they think they're broken. They think something's really wrong. And, oh, my God, look at me. I'm so messed up. And, no, I mean, it really isn't that. It's, it's really about how do we make this work better for you? How do we figure this out? Because you're having some challenges, and we all do. But how do we make this work better for you? And I think that's really what it's about. It's not about fixing anything. It really isn't. And I, and I think too much of the message has gotten um, muddied. I have a saying, Peter. It's pathology is the OCD of our culture. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and um, I, I also, though, I appreciate it. One of the ways I also talk about this is something great wants to come forward. If, if it didn't want to come forward, there wouldn't be any conflict. So because there's a conflict, it doesn't – what everyone does is they look at the outcome of the conflict and they try to remedy that as opposed to, hey, what's trying to come forward? Let's try to look at what wants to come forward because if something didn't want to come forward, then there wouldn't be any conflict. Agreed. 
Absolutely. Um, I just uh, experienced that today, actually, where it's like, so what is, where is this stemming from, right? Where is this coming from? What's going on? Why does this even look like a complex, right? And so what's happening here? And I think, again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is just because a teenager thinks that they were supposed to be doing it a certain way because that's what society says, right? That's what's out there on social media and blah, 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 you know, we keep going from there. And they think that that's how they're supposed to do it. And that doesn't mean every message out there on social media is bad. It just means that in some sense, this idea of if it doesn't look like this, then I'm broken or I'm wrong um, is really so much of what we're seeing in terms of the rise in anxiety and depression. And I really think that that definitely has an impact. I'm not saying it's a direct cause and effect, but I think there's definitely some correlation there. All right. Well, let's switch topics for a second. I know that you're deeply involved with the um, Alternative Education Resource Organization, Arrow, as we in the field know it. Tell me, what attracted you to it and what's going on there and what what do you do there? Yeah. um, So Arrow for me, gosh, I've come across Arrow, trying to think my first encounter was probably close to 20 years ago uh, at this point, you know, right right around there. And uh, what really attracted me to it, well, well, they have a conference every year, and it's we call it a national conference, but it's really international because people from all over the world come. And I think what draws people to it is this sort of common umbrella of, and when we say alternative, I mean, we're really looking at ways of learning and education that are different than... Uh, what's going on in a lot of the conventional world and what we were talking about earlier, you know, mass force schooling or compulsory schooling. And so people who either want to learn about or do or recognize that there is a way to do this differently and how do we share with each other and how do we um, come together to not only celebrate but also, again, dialogue and share and learn from each other about so many wonderful things that are happening. And that includes everything from Montessori to unschooling and free schooling and and really so many other educational theories or ways of doing things. And I think what really uh, what attracted me is that Arrow is inclusive of all of those things. And it's also inclusive of people who are working in the compulsory education field who want to do things differently, who, who recognize that we're natural learners. And we, you know, um, this year and last year, we had a superintendent from a district out on Long Island, on Long Island, New York, come and talk about some of the things that he's doing. And we had a principal last year from uh, New York City Public Schools, you know, come and talk about some of the holistic things that they're doing, you know, holistic pedagogy. And so again, it's not just about people who are outside that system. It is, it's also brings together people who are working inside the system who are really trying to change at least their corner of it to, to look and feel the way we know it can. And, and so what I do for Arrow really is I call myself a representative really. And uh, I do everything from help organize the conference and the smaller events like an Arrow X 
which are basically smaller regional events, to coordinating the Arrow representatives around the world. And basically what they do is spread the word of Arrow and try to hold smaller events. And also they're a resource in their area. So like me, for instance, if you uh, called me and somebody said, hey, I'm looking for an alternative for my child or my nephew or whoever, hopefully I'd be able to point you in a direction or multiple directions at least that then you would be able to go and, and look into these things. So so I do that and I try to do really what I can. There's so many aspects of uh, what we're doing. And, you know, coming up, uh, we're definitely going to have more live streaming events and more courses that are offered right now. Arrow offers a school starters course, which helps people who want to start a school, really, or a learning center or a learning environment or whatever it is, homeschooling co-op or whatever. So it really helps people kind of get that off the ground. So we're, we're really looking at, we're going to be developing some new courses and really developing some new offerings. And so it's exciting. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening in the next three to five years at Arrow that I think is really going to move Arrow into the future. So the main things that attracts me to Arrow, well, of course, Jerry, the executive director, is uh, larger than life, you know, and is an amazing guy and is really funny and really good at ping pong. Believe <laughs> it's crazy to watch him play. Um, but I think the the networking and the people that you meet, and again, Arrow is inclusive. I mean, I've been to conferences where if you didn't think the way that that sort of body of people or collective thought, you're kind of I won't say shunned, but you weren't necessarily invited to the party. I don't know that that really works for me. The feelings and the understanding and that you've offered to us about Arrow really, really do describe it very well. I've presented, I think, at three of their conferences and um, co-presented with Jerry at other conferences and, um, you know, just really respect all the work that's been done there for, for many, many years. So I want to thank you for your participation in that and for helping helping bringing that forward because I think ERA is a really great organization. And I think you really hit upon the center of it, which is the inclusiveness and the willingness to embrace what we might call learner-centered or learner-oriented learner uh, uh, education. So we're, we've been at it a while here, Peter, and um, we got to kind of wrap it up. And I'm wondering, do you have any last, last uh, ideas or understandings that you'd like to share with us before we sign off? I think, um, again, you know, this, this holistic idea, the idea of looking at teenagers holistically is so important. I mean, it's just, it, I, it, it just for me, the, the more, the more I, look into this and the more I work with it and the more I hear from teenagers, because again, you know, the book I wrote is really telling the story in a way through the eyes of teenagers. A lot of what they told me works for them and things that they've tried that have actually worked. So I think it's so much about listening and it's so much about respecting and coming from it from a partnership standpoint. And really, again, you know, looking at every aspect of them, because I mean, I know teenagers who get five hours of sleep a night. That's just not enough. That's not going to cut it. And I think that is huge. And I think we have to really, this this idea of holism or of holistic health even, it is becoming more and more important because there's more stressors and there's more things out there and there's more things that 
teenagers need to navigate and negotiate and so it's just it, it, to me it's it's really crucial and I mean my message to teenagers who I hope are listening just say you know keep talking and, and keep finding adults that um, that will listen and adults that will take you seriously because they are out there talk to your parents even you know even when they're maybe not listening and maybe they're not taking you seriously but the more you talk to them and the more you try and it does make a difference even if it doesn't seem like it does but if that's not working for you talk to other people other adults your friends people that do listen and do respect you and take you seriously because it is so huge and so important and i would say just for educators we all put a lot of ourselves into what we do and I think to do it in any other way that doesn't take into every aspect into account of a human being, I think is really shortchanging ourselves and the people that we work with. Because again, you know, we, we throw so much of our heart, our soul, everything into what we do. And for that not to happen, I mean, we're kind of, we're really limiting what we can do. And that's just not a, um, it's not going to cut it. I mean, and going into the next 10, 20 years, um, we see what's happening around us, holistic pedagogy or holism or, and all of it. I mean, it is, is really, to me, what's, what's going to pull us out of this. Great, Peter. Thank you so very much. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Ba Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.